Good morning. Just down here. So, if we haven't met, my name is Chris McCooey. Uh, I'm one of the uh, members of the, the teaching team and uh, newly as of last week, a newly minted uh, elder, or as my wife likes to call it, elderly. <laughs> Honey, when's the next elderly meeting? No, that's not it. It's very, su very supportive. Um, yeah, so, so we're still in the, in the book of John. We're going through, uh, today will be in John 14. And uh, Charlie introduced the, this section of John. It's John 14 to 17 is known as the farewell discourse. It's the last words of Jesus before, before the, whole, the whole passion, uh, the, what, what started with the, his trial, well, his arrest and his trial and all that. Um, and this is his last words to his disciples. It's a time of intimate sharing and really really taking off all of the metaphors and, and stuff and really talking, the, talking to them straight about what's going on. Uh, and and it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of affection and a lot of, a lot of it's, a, it's a discussion. He's taking questions uh, from, the, from his disciples and answering them. It's a very open, um, loving discussion between, uh, between the disciples and their rabbi. Jesus knows what's going to happen. They're not so clear. Uh, and so there's a, there's a lot of, Jesus is saying a lot of stuff in here, and it's really interesting to read it, but also to keep in mind what the context is. So let, we're, we're going to read it, uh, John 14, 1 to, I think I'm actually going to stop at uh, the end of 11. Uh, Charlie took part of this section last week. He was talking about uh, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So I'm going to leave that part off. We're going to go John 14, 1 to 11. If we can just put that up. Okay, so do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So, like I say, this is the farewell discourse uh, just before the cross. And, and what that means is that these people are about to head into a serious crisis of their faith. Right? So you got... Uh, within, within the next day, Jesus, their rabbi, will be dead. Um, we already know that Judas has just left the table. Judas, Judas has already joined the dark side. He's already, he's already uh, decided to betray Jesus, he's, and, and we're not going to see him again. In fact, he ends up committing suicide. We've got um, Peter, who is going to disown even knowing Jesus at all three times. Uh, we have the rest of them. We'll find out that they... None of them believed what was going to happen. None of them believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. None of them were holding on in their faith. They all fell away. It says, uh, 
I will strike the shepherd and all the sheep will be scattered. So they're all going to go through a serious crisis of faith. And Jesus starts this off by saying, don't be troubled. Well, okay. Jesus himself, we know, is very troubled at this point. Um, John 12, 27, he says, uh, my soul is troubled. Same word. My soul is troubled. What, what am I going to say? Father, deliver me from this hour. No, I was sent to the world for this hour. But he's telling them not to be troubled. Why? Because this is all going to fall on him and not on them. Right? So he's the one that's going to, uh, he's going to go through the whole ordeal that's coming up and not them. In fact, actually, his message here is that this is really, really good for them. Bad for him, but really, really good for them. Um, so I'm going to walk through... Uh, uh, well, first of all, this is a call to faith. Just like everything else in John, everything else, uh, you know, the, the message, the punchline uh, in, in most of the stories in John is believe in Jesus, right? So this is the same. You see the word faith and believe. You see that quite a bit in here. Um, and what exactly are they to be believing? What is, and what is the effect if they do? So he's going, to, he's going to explain to them, first of all, why is he leaving? What's he going to do? Well, he's leaving so that he can create a way that they can be with him forever. Um, and he intimately shares that with them. It, uh, next, he's, he's going to explain why is it necessary that he do it? Uh, is there some other way? No, there is no other way. It needs to be him. And then third, he's, gonna, he's going to uh, explain why they should believe him. Because he represents the Father perfectly and fully. And if you can believe the Father, you can believe him. You believe in the Father, believe also in me. So that belief that you have in the Father, extend it to me because I represent him perfectly. Uh, and then at the end of this, I'm going to take a few minutes and see how we can apply that to our own crises of faith. We don't have to go through any time where Jesus is dead. That happened once and then, then he got better. <laughs> um, it, we don't ever have to live through that. But we have other crises of faith where, where, where uh, because of a situation, or because of a question that hits us, or maybe there's a, uh, there's a, a crisis, time, sickness, or whatever that we go through, how do we hold on in our faith when that happens? So there's some, there's some pointers that we can get from this passage about how to handle that. So, first of all, I said, uh, uh, why is Jesus going away? So he says, uh, he tells them not to be troubled, but he, but he himself is troubled. And, and he's saying that if he, if, he, if he goes away, he will come back to them. First of all, that's, that should be reassuring. He's going away, but coming back. They don't, they don't understand this, but he's telling them anyway. Uh, I, I'm going away and coming back, and when I come back, I am going to bring you to myself. And, and what he's saying here, you know, I, you know, when I was a kid, we had, you know, I listened to a song by Keith Green. I love Keith Green, but he kind of got the theology wrong on this one. It was, it was uh, the song was, in six days, God created everything, but you've been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Like, wow, this was, you know, um, like, like it's taking God a long time to renovate heaven for us or something. That's not what the message is here. The message is that I'm going to die for you, and that will make a way for you to spend eternity with me. So, in other words, I'm going to take care of the sin issue, and then you'll be welcomed into the presence of my Father. That, that's the simple message. It's just the straight-up, simple gospel here. He's saying, I'm going away, I'm going to die. And, uh, and because of that, you will have a way into the Father's presence. Um, and Jesus talks about heaven a lot 
And so does John, because John is also the one who wrote uh, Revelation. Jesus often talks about heaven as a place of eternal reward. Um, he, uh, he, uh, John often talks about it as a paradise, you know, lots of description of jewels and, and riches. Uh, and here, it's a little different. Heaven is described as a bunch of rooms. And it's just a really simple word with no adornment. It really has nothing, nothing stands out about heaven itself here. He just says, my, there are many rooms in my father's house. But what stands out in the description of heaven here for me is how Jesus describes it in intimate terms. He, he says, I'm going to bring you to myself so that where I am, you can also be. That's the driving force for this whole thing. It's that where I am, I want you to be there with me. This is an affection that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. It's a, it's a desire to be with them. And that's what, to him, when he's describing what, just his last minutes before going to the cross, what's pushing him there. What is it? It's this desire to be with them eternally. You can't overstate the importance of this part. This is a thread that runs all the way through the Bible from the beginning to the end. And in fact, it's what makes sense of most of what happens. It's that God, from the beginning, wanted to have a people of his own that he could dwell among for his glory. Let me say that again. He had, he want, God, from the beginning, wanted a people of his own that he could dwell among for his glory. And that sums up a lot of what happens. It makes sense of the cross here. It's, it's actually Hebrews 12. It's, it, we're told that there was a joy set before Jesus so that he would endure the cross. That's the joy set before Jesus. It was to have a people of his own that he could dwell with eternally for his glory. Um, so let me just flesh that out a little bit further because I'm saying that it's a really, really important thing. And I believe I spoke about this on, on the Good Friday um, uh, address as well. From the beginning, God was making a people. And let's just take one example of where, where uh, God is working on having a people of his own. Uh, in the book of Exodus, there's a passage in Exodus 19 that will show up on the screen. Um, where, where he brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt... And, he, and uh, you know, with power and signs, wonders, miracles. And, he, and then, this, you know, it's a, it was a promise that he had made to Abraham. He was going to make him into a great nation. They were mistreated in Egypt. He pulls them out of there and brings them out to the desert, out to this mountain called Sinai. And, uh, and he says to them in verse 3 in Exodus 19, it says, Then Moses went up, to the, uh, went up to God, the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you, just catch the similarity in the language here, uh, and uh, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my, command, my, my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation." So this will ultimately be fulfilled in heaven uh, at the return of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. When I come again, I'll receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be with me also. And that's the driving force for Jesus. He's affectionately sharing with him his desire to be with him. And um, this is something that, I, you know, I, I want this to permeate my thinking. 
right? It, so that when I get up in the morning and I'm going to go sit down and, and spend time, you know, reading my Bible, praying, whatever, or if I'm here Sunday morning early to, you know, to, for worship, that's how God sees me. That's how God sees you. He is earnestly desiring to spend eternity with you. We just need that to be sort of the baseline in our minds, right? God really is looking forward to spending time with me as a bridegroom awaits his bride. That's, that is the language that's used in, in Revelation. That's the love of Jesus for you. Um, and, and he's sharing that with them. And so so there's something I find kind of remarkable here, though, um, in a day or so after this, they are going to be wrestling deeply with this thought of, of, well, Jesus is dead. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead. You can't be the Messiah and be dead. You can't overthrow the Romans when you're being crucified. You know, huh, what are we supposed to do? And, there, and this question, were we wrong about the whole thing? Obviously, we were wrong. That whole wrestle is going on. And meanwhile, at the same time, Jesus is literally going to hell and back so that he can spend time with them eternally. He's accomplishing the eternal purposes of God. And they're, when, and they're on this other question, which is a really compelling question. How could, be, how could Jesus be the Messiah and dead? This doesn't work. So, so you have a complete disconnect in what's going on in Jesus' mind, and, and, and they're not understanding it. Um, but that doesn't stop Jesus. So... So next, you run into these exclusive claims of Jesus. And this is, this is where, um, well, I'll just read it. In verse, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is probably a verse you learned in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school. Um, probably had to memorize it at camp or something. Uh, he's telling them why his work is so important. And there's no other way for them to get into the dwellings in the Father's house. Uh, the I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's, it's both bold and it's also ironic. Let me just walk you through that a little bit. Uh, the I am statements, uh, there's about seven of them in the book of John. The I am the way, I am the truth. The, the, the I am, he's actually making a reference back to Moses and the burning bush. He's saying, I am, I am. It, it's a claim to deity. Um, and, and they would have understood it that way, probably. So, so that's fairly bold. Then he, then he says, the way. In other words, not a way, the way. I am the way. What he means there is the way to the Father's dwellings. Right? In context, that's what he means. Uh, he is the road that they are to walk in order to get to, those fa to, to the Father's dwellings. But what's ironic here is that he's about to walk up the Via Dolorosa, which is the way of, the cro the way of, the way of pain, the way of suffering, it's this road that winds through Jerusalem and then goes up, uh, up the hill to Golgotha where they were going to crucify him. See the irony there. And then, I am the truth. He's saying, I, uh, I am going to deal with uh, the, the human condition that nobody wants to point at, that nobody wants to talk about it. It's that sin that's blocking you from the presence of God. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to face it. He's going to be truthful and deal with that human condition. Um, that, that we aren't just good people who need a little tweaking. We've rebelled against God and need saving. And that's what's required here. And he's dealing with the, the true heart of the matter. Um, 
but ironically, he's going to be put to death at the, uh, because of the false witnesses and the lies said about him. Uh, I am the life. He's going to give us eternal life, the thing that was stolen from us in the Garden of Eden, um, but soon he's going to be dead. He'll come back to life, but, but he's giving his own life in order to be that life. And, and so John's not, not letting us get away without seeing the irony here. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. This is not a popular saying right now. This is one of the things that people have the most trouble with, uh, with Christianity. It's like your, your Jesus is nice, but why is he the only one? Why can't there be others? And, and it looks arrogant. So I'm just, going to, uh, I'm just going to give you my view on why I believe that it is not arrogant. In fact, it's the only thing that makes sense. Here, first of all, what, what he's saying in the context is, no one comes to the Father's eternal dwellings unless I suffer and die for them. Right? That's, 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 that's not a statement of arrogance. That's a statement of commitment. Right? That's, a, that's a statement of, there is an issue that has to be dealt with. This sin thing has to be dealt with. I'm willing to deal with it at the cost of my own life. And I'm the only one who's able to do that. So it's no longer an arrogant thing. It's, 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 a, it's a commitment. He is being driven by his desire to be with us. So this exclusive claim, uh, Charlie was pointing it out to me in, in, through a, um, a passage, by, or through a, a sermon by Tim Keller. This exclusive claim is actually uh, um, because of his desire to be with us. It's, an inti- it's a call to intimacy. It's a call to closeness with him because uh, he is being driven to be the one that'll do this for us by his love for us, by his desire to be with us for eternity. Um, nobody else, no other claim in all of religion is going to do that. There's nobody else like that. Jesus is saying, I'll take this for you. That's why he can say it. That's why he can say, I am the way. The, the, other, the other reason he can say it is that he has represented the Father completely to them. He's represent, he's, he spends some time here saying, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. You look at me, you see the Father. Um, and he has, a, he has a unique oneness with the Father that nobody else has ever had or will ever have. There's a uniqueness in his relationship with the Father. So, of course, he can bring you, he can be the one to bring you to the Father. So... Somebody who is willing to do this, somebody who represents, Jesus, who represents the Father so well, and yet is, he's willing to go to those lengths to save, yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Who else is there? It only, it only, you can only say that it's, that you can only make non-exclusive claims. You can only get around this if there was no such thing as the sin issue. This is the problem. The sin issue is what keeps us away from God, and Jesus is there to solve it. He's willing to take it for himself. So that's why he can say that he's the only one. And there, I, I need to address this because, really, he's saying every other religious claim outside of me fails. I mean, that's a big deal. But that's what he's saying. So um, I, I said I want to deal with how... Um, 
with crisis of faith that we can face uh, on our own because this is what's happening here. These people are about to go into a major crisis of faith. So, so for us, it could be, you know, there could be an event in our lives. It could be, could be just, you know, for, for me, what really challenged me was when I moved out of my parents' house, um, started going to university, heard all kinds of other views other than, than, uh, than what I grew up with and had to sort through my own thing. And I think I'm not alone in that. I think that's, I think most young adults have some form of that when they step out of their parents' house. There's a, there's a wrestling, it might, and it might start well before you leave. Uh, there's a wrestling with the beliefs that you have. How does this make sense? Uh, and some of, the, some of the questions that hit, they hit, and then they can hit hard because there's some really good, tough questions out there. And I'm going to mention some of them. And, uh, and maybe, this, maybe you see yourself in this. Um, some of this I get from listening to other people, some of it listening to my own heart. Why would God allow so much suffering in the world? Um, why would a loving God make so many people when he knows that so many are going to turn away from him and end up in hell? These are not easy questions, right? These, these can rattle you. How come there are so many divorced Christians when the Holy Spirit is supposed to make us better? How come... How come there's such an apparent contradiction between the claims of science and the claims of the Bible? These are real questions that have, that have a lot of weight when you're walking through. And especially if, you, if you're, especially if you're a, a young adult or, or a teenager, they can really come at you. These are tough questions. Um, and the reason I'm, take, I'm, I'm talking about this now is because these guys are about to be hit with one that's just as good, right? The, the question of, we believed in Jesus. Jesus is dead. He was supposed to be our Messiah. What are we going to do? Were we wrong about the whole thing? And that's a crisis of faith. And you, can, and you can come into something that looks like a contradiction. God is loving. God sends people to hell. Or... Here, for them, it's Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is dead. Right? So we, we come into these contradictions and we go, how am I going to deal with this? And I want to just give two pieces of advice that I'm going to take from this passage. There's a lot that can be said about this, and it's a discussion that I'd love to have with you if you if you're, are, are going through something like this. We have actually quite a few people in, in, the, in the leadership of this church who would, who would love to have conversations with you uh, about it. I'm going to tell a little bit of my own background on it, but... Just get a little bit of water. So, first of all, a crisis of faith like this is a quest for truth, right? So you need to hold on to the truth that you already have and not let it go while you're looking for more. I'm saying that because a lot of times what happens is it, you get hit with a question and you let go of the other stuff you already knew. That's, that's not how you get to truth. You get to truth by building on the truth that you already have. And that, that's a key here. Don't let go of the things you already know just because there's a good question. Don't ignore the question, but you, but you hold on to the truth. So, so Jesus says this kind of in two ways. He, he says, first of all, uh, that not your heart be troubled, but you believe in God, believe also in me. He's affirming this belief. Guys, you believe in God, right? Yeah, okay. Hold on to that. Now we're going, the problem here is going to be believing in me, um, but you hold on to your belief in God. And then later on he says, 
Uh, if you're having trouble believing that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In other words, you know what you saw. And Jesus did some pretty wild, crazy things in, in these people's presence. And yet they're going to still deny that he is the, the Messiah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is calling them to, uh, to hold on to what they saw and what they knew. When, they, when Jesus spoke, he felt their authority. He watched him raise dead people. Or they watched him uh, raise dead people. They, they did miracles themselves. He's saying, you know what you saw, hold on to that. Hold on to that thing. And, and for many of us, we have not gone through, I mean, I really don't think anybody's gone through living what these disciples have seen of the power of God. But if you grew up in church, or if you've been in church for, for a while, you've probably experienced something that you knew was real. Right? It could have been the love of God coming through other people that you watched in those people. It could have been you, were, you yourself had some experience of the presence of God. It could be some answered prayer that you go, wow, God really did that. There could have been miracles that you, that you, that you knew. Hey, I prayed for this. God did this thing. Uh, hold on to that. You don't get to let go of the truths to get another truth. You hold on to the truths that you have. They may look contradictory. That's because you don't have the answers yet. Can I say that again? They may look contradictory, but that's because you don't have the answers yet. So again, the example here is it looks contradictory to say that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is dead. It's not contradictory. They don't have the answers yet. He's going to be alive soon. They just don't have the answer yet. Um, so we hold on to the truth while we're looking for more. Second, Jesus says that he is the truth. Uh, and there's a, there's a the in there, right? Uh, he's the truth, not a truth. He is the truth. And he's persona. He's, 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 he's taking that as, as his name, right? I, I, am, I am the truth. Uh, and what that means to me is that you need to keep Jesus at the center of this, of the, of the search for truth. Truth isn't just an argument or a statement. Truth is also a person, the person of Jesus here, Right? He, it flowed out from him. It came from God. Uh, and I'm saying that because there's a tendency a lot of the time that when a tough problem comes, like the ones I just mentioned, one of, the, one of the things that happens is that we kind of put God on trial and we say, okay, now I'm going to decide. I'm going to work on um, coming to a decision on whether God exists or not. And so if, if he passes this test, he can keep existing. If he doesn't pass this test, he doesn't exist. And, uh, and I'm saying you will not find truth that way. You need God's help to find truth. The way to find it is ask, seek, knock. That's how you find truth. Ask, seek, knock. Lord, I need some help. God, could you please help me understand this? I don't get it. Um, and, and, you can, and you can be, uh, you can be as honest as you want in that, but you, but you ask him. If he's real, he'll show you. And he can provide good resources. He can provide a lot of help. But you don't walk away from him in that. I just want to add my own little story here. I, I, uh, when I was 17 or 18, I left home. I was living in Golden, BC. Left my parents. Went to go to the University of Calgary. Study sciences there. Um, and, you know, that was new life for me. And I knew what a Christian was. My parents are not hypocrites. Right? They love God. 
I, I'm, I'm aware that not everybody can say that. My parents are good Christian people who really do love God. They say it, they mean it. Um, uh, I had my own personal relationship with God, and I knew that. It was something, I, I knew there was this thing from a young age. I knew that I had a relationship with him. Uh, and, and what I did was, and I was plugged into a, a, a good church, uh, and, and what I did was I took this philosophy of religion course that basically walked through, it was, you know, it was a pretty big name professor, studied at Harvard, whatever, and he walked through a lot of the arguments for and against uh, religion. He was agnostic himself, uh, and so he was just kind of, this is what people say about for God, and this is what people say against God, and I walked through it, and I, and I came out, most of the stuff I found actually, my beliefs, I felt they fared pretty well. There's this one that I could not get around, and and I don't think this is really, I think, I think still for a lot of science majors it exists, but for the most, most of Christianity, I feel like this isn't your burning question. But it was for me at that time. Um, uh, it's, it's how do you square the claims of, uh, well, the, 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 what we know from science with, what we, with the creation account and, and all that and evolution. You know, the, the whole thing, it was a real problem for me because there I was taking courses on, you know, I took a geology course and talks about how, you know, the, the millions of years of, you know, fossil record and, and uh, mountains being formed and, uh, and, and radiocarbon dating. For those of, for any of the teenagers out here who don't know, radiocarbon dating is what there was before internet dating. Um, um, no. I can explain that one the questions. Um, so... So, yeah, because I was studying sciences, right? So, and I've got this, and I believe the Bible, and therefore, you know, you got this, you got this hard contradiction between the way, I was under, the way I understood the Bible and the way I understood science. And this, I would start thinking about it and trying to work through it. And, well, maybe there's truth here. I don't know what's going on here. And I felt like I was cheating on God when I would do that. It was awful. It was like I'm saying, no, actually, the Bible's wrong. Bible's wrong. I know God's real, and 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 it was not a comfortable thing for me. Uh, and I was doing this alone, without really any outside help. Now there was one person from uh, called it was called Campus Crusade at the time. You know the um, power to change, um, who came and and gave me some gave me some good pointers on it. But for the most part, I was walking this out by myself. And so I set a ground rule. I go. I'm going to. I'm going to. Uh, Go at this slowly, asking, 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 asking God for understanding, asking for help. And when it feels like I'm doing that cheating on God and denying God again, I'll back off. Ask him some more. Go at it bit by bit. Again, I'm trying to do this alone. I'm trying to, you know, break new territory for myself here. And, and then I, and God faithfully started bringing in sources that would help me understand and, and I started coming to that, to that understanding, like uh, there's one, one statement by um, uh, Francis Schaeffer that says, if we understood science perfectly and we understood the Bible perfectly, there would be no final conflict between the two. And that really helped me. And, you know, I was going through all these, all these steps, um, but I was finding that God was leading me through the things that looked, made it, that were, if I hadn't done it that way, uh, I would have thought maybe God isn't real. Instead, God was the help that got me to the answers. 
And that's why I'm saying we need to be holding on to the things that we know are true while we're looking to fill out the parts that we don't want to understand. Um, and, and there's just one last bit, and this is, this is a lot trickier to get, so just kind of bear with me. This is, this is my own thinking on it. Um, there are a lot of tough questions that you will not have a satisfying answer just through logic, just through an explanation. A lot of the questions that you're going to need require the person of Jesus in order for it to make sense. Um, Sounds a little cryptic. I'll just give you an example, all right? So um, many of you are probably aware, if you've heard Basil speak, uh, I've probably mentioned it before, the, the, the logical problem of evil, right? And I mentioned that at the beginning. The logical problem of evil is that, is that if God is all loving, God is all powerful, he would want to get rid of all evil and suffering in the world, and he would be able to, but there's evil and suffering in the world, lots of it, so therefore, God can't exist. This was a problem that was presented by, uh, we think there was probably Epicurus back in like 300 years before Jesus. Uh, and until 1977, it, it really held sway as a very convincing argument. Uh, C.S. Lewis kind of attacked it a little bit, but it was in 1977 there was a guy by the name, a Christian philosopher by the name of Alvin Plantinga, who presented what is known as the free will defense, and it basically put to rest that idea that God can't exist because evil exists, and he, and he did it very well. Many of you probably heard the arguments in some form, um, and now, now if you look it up on Wikipedia, basically philosophy has decided, yes, that has been dealt with. But if you live in a war-torn country, or if your wife is leaving you, or you, um, you are so sick that you can't go to work and the bills are piling up, you don't care, right? You don't care. You don't care that somebody solved the logical problem. You're still saying, God, don't you care? If you were powerful, you'd do something. If you were loving, you would do something. What's going on, right? Right? And they don't, and it won't make sense unless you can look at the person of Jesus himself. And in Jesus, you'll see this guy who was able to heal other people by spitting in the dirt, picking up the mud, which is really kind of gross, and sticking it on their eyes, and they would see when they had never seen from birth. He could, he could put his hand on somebody who was dead, and they would get up and walk and ask for food. And yet he didn't heal himself. He didn't heal himself. He's like suffering. He's, he could have, um, there's, there's this one episode in, in, uh, in, in John where he's being arrested and they ask him, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And the soldiers fall back on the ground. They fall down. The power is there. He tells, he tells uh, Peter, if I wanted to summon a legion of angels, I could. I don't need your help. He went through the suffering. He went through the pain and the agony of being, of being uh, betrayed, being, having false witness, being tempted to get out of it because of his power, which is something I don't normally face when I'm in pain. Uh, uh, and then he went all the way to death and still asking God to forgive his, his torturers. That is somebody in whom you can find solace when you're suffering, because he understands it. He knows it. And that's why I'm saying that in a crisis of faith, you need to keep the eyes up on him, because a lot of these things won't make any sense other than in the person of Jesus himself. 
So I want to, uh, well, and, and just remember, this is the one, like I started off with, this is the one who, it's not just that he suffered, but that he also suffered in order to bring you to himself, to spend time, to spend eternity with you. So he's not aloof from this pain. He's, he, he's, he has embraced it because he wants to save you. And, and that's why I'm saying, let's keep Jesus front and center when we have uh, these questions that are, that are attacking us. So um, we're, I'm just going to pray and we'll go into a time of question and answer. Maybe this has really brought up some, some, some difficult questions. Um, and we'll just have a little chat about that. Lord, I just thank you, God, for uh, your desire to be with us for eternity. I just praise you, God, that you are powerful. I praise you that you have all wisdom and understanding. God, and I just ask for your hand to be on us, uh, to, to help us understand you. Amen. Actually, just one, one thing that, uh, just before we go into this, there's just one, one last thought that I wanted to share. It's that um, Jesus has warned them or has told them, he's tried to give help to them while they're going into this crisis, um, but every single one of them fell away. But I need to also emphasize, we know that Jesus had been praying for Peter, that Peter, after he goes through all this crisis, that he would come back and he would strengthen his brothers. And we know that all of them, with one exception, uh, Judas, all of them came back after the resurrection, every single one, and became um, powerful missionaries uh, for, for, uh, for, for the kingdom. And my message there for us is if you have somebody in your family that you've been praying for, if there's, if there's uh, you know, one of your kids or one of your, one of your I don't know, parents or your uncle or whatever, that, that's, or, or just friends that you have been praying for that has, been, that has faced this kind of a crisis and that uh, uh, you're concerned for them, it's not over. Keep praying. Keep praying. God is still powerful. It's not over. Hold on to that in prayer. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so, yeah, the text number's up there. Any questions here in the room? Uh, we have a mic runner somewhere. Let's see. Um, so far, the only thing coming through the text line is the many people asking that your eldership be revoked over that internet dating joke. <laughs> so we'll respond to that in good timing. Um, is there anything in the room? I want to know if somebody in the room asked that and is too shy to say it to my face. Come on, let's see it. It's just a few dozen on that one. Uh, anyone? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, over here, yep. Uh, thank you for the message today. Uh, I have a boy here. He's at uh, the age that he starts to uh, look for a lot of truth on his own now. How do we as parents to best help him to find the truth? 
uh, without making us sound like we're imposing our belief on him. So that's my question. How, how as parents? How do parents, uh, make sure I'm hearing right. So how do parents help their children discover the truth when they have a whole phone where they can research the world on their own? Is that pretty much it? What are your thoughts? You got a couple of those enfants, don't you? So, um, yeah, I, I, there's all kinds of thinking about, about the effect of social media and all this, but um, my, my opinion is that the, the crisis often is coming from within. And so even if, you know, we don't, there's all kinds of philosophies out there that they're going to hear, but really it's what resonates within is, is going to be the, the big issue. Um, and so, you, I mean, they're going to hear questions, and they should, because we need to be able to work through those things. So one, I, I would say, is try to create an environment where those discussions can happen. Um, but number two, actually, I, I probably put this as the most important one, is that you be real in your hope and your faith. Um, and... And that is, that is what is lived out. That's, what's, that's what they see. Um, if they see somebody who is, who is really following God and putting their hope in the Lord, uh, that is, that's something that, that is, that's the truth of the message, right, lived out. Um, and it, it, it goes so far. I remember often thinking, well, I know what I saw at home. I know that my that you know my my parents they I I know there was something real there, and, and to me that was a very powerful thing, so um, um, so keeping the the lines of communication open and keeping keeping your own hope real and number three is what Jesus did for Peter he prayed for him. Uh, we don't you know pe people need to work on these things by themselves. Um, but they need resources, they need prayer, and they need a model. But so much of it is going to be happening inside their heart, but you can provide those things. You can also, if you are aware of good resources, uh, and there are some very good ones out there, uh, for the questions that they are facing, uh, that can also be a key. So you can kind of do some brush clearing ahead of them and help them to find, if you have that relationship where you're open, where, where they'll take the resources from you, uh, so I think those are sort of four kind of big things that, that'll help. There's praying, um, providing some resources, being real in your own faith. Um, what was the other one? Anyway, yeah, that was it. I think it was just three. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's a really, really good answer. I really appreciate your answer, and I think it connects so well with what Jesus is saying here, and it's a truth that we often forget um, that... A lot of times we think that we will be satisfied with the right, correct facts, which are important. The truth is important. The facts of the truth are very important. But Jesus said, I am the way. It's also, you can't, you can't disconnect it from the person. And I think that's just really wise, um, that the best thing that you can do for your children is to be living your faith that way the truth is something they can see. They can see Jesus living in you. And then when all those questions come, like, if God is true, what about this? If Christianity is true, what about this? They can say, okay, well, I still know what I've seen. I've got a lot of questions, but what did, how did you say it? Hold on to what you know. Hold on to what you know while you work 
through what you don't. I just also add, as a parent, they may be needing to work through something that you didn't understand. It wasn't your problem, it wasn't your question, but, but you may not have the understanding that they need. Right? And, that, and that's, there's a sense of stepping back. Like my, my parents at that time are the ones who taught me beliefs that I needed to let go of. There were some of the beliefs that, that I had learned from them I had to let go of while I was learning new truths and, um, because, because I, I felt they didn't have the understanding. So we need to, be, we need to realize where there's, where there's that place that, wait, I, I might not be the answer for them. They may need to get it from another source, right? Uh, so there's some prayer and waiting and humility that's involved in that as well. Okay, uh, anyone else here in the, back here there's, there's a question. And something was just on my text line and then just disappeared. So if you sent a text, send it again because I might have did something. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I really love the message today. And my question is in terms of our identity and as, as adults and as teenagers, as children, um, today everybody's identifying as something. If we were to identify as, say, Christians, I'm looking for creative ways, and you mentioned one today when you said, I am. If we were to say that we were a follower of I am, to someone who asked, as you were mentioning, Charlie, when we let our light shine and people come to us and ask, you know, what is it about you? I want to answer in a way that would be creative in the sense that it would spark curiosity and it would want someone to know more as opposed to just saying I'm a Christian or do you have things that you use both of you well, that's a really good good question um, uh, so the question is if I'm hearing it correctly sometimes the identity the term Christian just the word can be a turnoff to someone who has certain assumptions that might not be correct. So we want to show people the way and we're aware that maybe there is a, a better term, a better identity way we could describe ourselves um, rather than simply introducing ourselves as Christian. That's a good question. you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Um. Just to clarify, is that, you know, sort of Christianity or evangelical has also now become a political term? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. It, even just the term Christian the might term. not have a great branding in a lot of uh, yeah. contexts. Yeah, no, I, 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 I feel that one. <laughs> I understand that. Um, yeah, and you know that, that it's it's tough without being in that particular context and knowing how how much how much can you share? You're saying you're in the education system and you're and you're teaching. Um, that uh, the the focus always has been on Jesus, right? Uh, and and so if the focus is is so if that's what you're referring to and the terminology is around the person of Jesus, um, that's something I'm quite happy to identify with. Uh, where and I think a lot of it can really by clarifying Jesus, your Jesus was not a political machine. <laughs> he was he was very much you know he was very much a, um, something that something that people are when you when you look at that person there's something very compelling about him 
And so I, I don't know how, in what way or how, how much you can do this, but the person, the historical person, the real person of Jesus, that might be a good place to, to focus. Um, I mean, we can talk about that one afterwards. It sounds like there's a certain context as well. Yeah, I actually don't have, I, for myself, I felt the same question, the same uh, weight of like, um, I don't want to identify myself in a way that's going to immediately make someone uh, assume things about me. And uh, for myself, sometimes it just comes down to um, when, when I go public or when, <laughs> I don't know what I... When I come out of the closet, so to speak, you know, uh, as, a, as a believer, as in sometimes, like, I want to get to know someone and show who I am and give someone a sense of who I am. That way, when I do say I'm a Christian, if someone does have these assumptions or stereotypes of what a Christian is, immediately I'm challenging that because it's like, wait a second, I thought Christians were kind of narrow-minded and and uh you don't seem to be so you know something like that uh so um but uh, as far as a different term i know some people do say jesus follower but to be honest i think until you've shown yourself any term you use is is going to it's, it's going to do the same thing so the um identifier of a christian in the new testament is is love so um, it's not that Christians are the only ones who love. It's just that that's, that's the language we speak. That's, how, that's our identity, and that's how it's to come across. And, you know, in my own particular work, um, you know, my, my, my main witness, I'll speak to people when I can about, about my faith, what I want everybody in my company. I'm a GM in a, in a scientific company. Uh, what I want everybody in the, in the company to feel is fairness, respect, the love of God, or they, they won't identify it as the love of God, but that love flowing uh, from management where they are treated well. You know, that, these things, they make it so that when somebody has a complaint about, oh, you're a Christian, you're this and whatever, they go, yeah, but I'm really well treated here. <laughs> you know, so, so that, that love coming in through what you do, uh, both professionally and, and relationally, I think that, that really sets the record straight about what you really are. That's your identity. Okay, we have time for one more if there's someone in the room. I do have to apologize. The application we use for uh, text questions for people to text anonymously, when I click on it, they're kind of, there is a mistake. There are technical difficulties with the app. It's not working. So apologies for anyone who sent in a line on the text. Is there anything else in the room? Going once, twice. If you have a question, you're in the room, but you're really too shy. Uh, just ask Ryan; he'll get a big blanket and stick it over your over you, so you can ask. And I won't know who you are. Yep. Let's go ahead. We can use one of those sound, uh, <laughs> like the hostage voice, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, deep throat. Or, yeah. We can. Uh, okay. Um, well, let me just pray. Is there a hand that I see over there? One. Yep. Yep. I think Pretty Pearl in the back. Is it? No, that's not who it is. I can't tell. Lights are in my eyes. Oh, it is pretty pearl, yes. Yes, it is. Um, this is the first time I'm talking on the mic. Okay. So, um, John 14, 11 says, Believe me, um, 
when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, you said that, right? Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Um, I don't know if it's, this is a question to you or a question for us to just ponder on, but I, the thought I have is, what works can we do today as Christians to help believe in Jesus? And I guess I'm not just talking about, you know, food drives and things like that, but my mind is more on the evidence of the work that Jesus was doing. Um, Jesus said, if you don't believe the talk, at least believe in the evidence. And what is our evidence today? Um, Yes, we are good people, nice people, kind people, and so are many others who are atheists. How can we stand out? You know, it's not just about saying, I'm a Christian, oh, see how I behave. I know many nice atheist people. And the question that uh, resonates with me is, how can I, what works of Jesus becomes an evidence in my life um, as a way for them to say, I want that. Yeah, so Jesus uh, is referring to things that they know, that they that that uh, things that they have seen and witnessed, and he's using that to to say, "Don't forget this, because that said to you, that shouted to you that I am from God. Hold on to that. Don't deny it. And when when because of that tendency that we have to go to re-explain the past, right?" Uh, no, I know what I saw. I know what happened. Um, but he's also saying, as, as a, I think your point is that that um, um, there are many people whose faith will be encouraged greatly by seeing miracles. Uh, it's not just when he says works; it doesn't just mean miracles, but it definitely includes the miracles. So there's other things that Jesus did uh, that were how he showed mercy to people who who uh, expressing the Father's heart in other ways that were not miracles. Uh, he spoke with authority. That's one thing that is mentioned there. Uh, and that was also evidence for them. But these specifically the miracles, yeah, I mean, the, here we're in a context in our church where we're speaking uh, much more about miracles, about revival. I spoke a few weeks ago about, about um, yeah, you want, we want to see God's power uh, with miracles. Come on down and we'll pray for you, Right? Uh, if you're if you're if you're sick, you're whatever injured, you need prayer or just whatever it is, let's pray with you. Let's let's challenge our faith to believe that God can do things that we've never seen Him do before. And and so um, I, I'm I'm just going to echo what you're saying. Yeah, let's 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 pursue God in faith for that, because that will affect the faith of other people. The, the works that we do, I think uh, there's a major sense where it's like the, the fruit, the walking in love, that's what Jesus said is going to be the mark that distinguishes us. But I don't think it is limited to that. Um, uh, my, I had a pastor years ago that, that said that Christianity is, is caught more than it's taught, as in it's something that people follow because they see it. They experience it through a person. Jesus is the way. Um, thanks for the good word today, Chris. Uh, Father God, I pray that as you've sent Jesus, we would know him, we would see him. Not only the, not only the, the, the facts of the truth, but the person of the truth. 
And in seeing the person of the truth, Lord, we would be able to embody as you live in us by the power of your Holy Spirit whom you've given us, we would be able to embody the truth for others to see, to see you through us, Lord, through our actions, through our love, through miraculous deeds that you do through us, Lord. We ask that you would do all of that to point to yourself. Um, You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us rejoice and worship you and believe. In your name, amen.